Hello and welcome to Insurance Tomorrow, a podcast brought to you by me, Nick Hewer, and Allianz. This podcast looks into major global trends in businesses that will be disrupting and shaping the way we do things in the years to come. We're examining the emerging risks and new opportunities presented for businesses and what impact all this will have on insurance. Previous episodes in the series have covered cybercrime, drones and artificial intelligence. And if you missed them, you can download the episodes by subscribing now on your podcast app. In today's episode, we're focusing our attention on smart cities. Just over half of all humans currently live and work in cities and urbanised areas, with this set to increase to 68% by 2050. Taking population growth into account, the United Nations estimates that this could mean another 2.5 billion people living in the world's cities. The influx of people alone is enough to majorly upheave cities, but together with the rapid technological advancement we're seeing, it's radically transforming the way we live and work. It is a necessity, then, that cities are becoming smarter. Using the Internet of Things and publicly available data, tech companies are partnering with local authorities to create smart solutions to the urban dwellers' every gripe apps to guide you to the nearest available parking spot, smart street lighting that can respond to movement, more efficient management of transport systems, and much more. Plenty of cities have already published smart plans and started implementing the necessary infrastructure and technology to transform their communities. Risk will change. Old risks, such as those of burglary and theft, will diminish new ones, like cyber, will emerge. Being able to respond to these changes with the right cover will be essential for insurers. Now, joining me today to discuss this in more detail, we have Glenn Clark, the head of transformational propositions at Allianz, Dan Hubert, the CEO of the smart parking platform Appyway, and finally Graham Thrower, the head of infrastructure and investment at the Smart City Consultancy Urban Foresight. Welcome. Now, we're going to kick off by getting some definitions straightened out. Glenn, what is a smart city? It's a good place to start, but it's a difficult question to answer. So I think um, the one thing I can say is that there is no clear definitive statement that is a smart city so it's the one way i think it's useful to think about it is that it's not a goal it's not uh it's not an end game but it's a means to an end and so i think commonly speaking it's about using data and technology to improve the quality of life for those who live work and visit a city but that manifests itself in in various different ways and so you know making the city whether it be safer healthier more environmentally sustainable more efficient convenient productive. These are all the type of goals that hopefully data and technology can help cities achieve with those goals being almost independent of the technology itself. So I think, yeah, I think that's the the kind of broad definition. Obviously, that entails a few different things. There's probably something which our our fellow guests can talk about in much more depth, something about the uh, public-private partnerships that uh, evolve to look at those more longer-term infrastructural and policy decisions that uh, that affect how a smart city might develop. But I think there's also, interestingly, the role 
role of the, the entrepreneurs to understand how they might use data in a new kind of citywide context. And certainly we're seeing a lot of innovation that coming uh, that is uh, making use of these kind of open data uh, architectures that will see, soon become more prevalent uh, within cities. That's, a, that's a, a thorough overview. But Graham, you're with the Smart City Consultancy Urban Foresight. So w- where are we at the moment? Where are we? How, you know, how smart are cities and where do those cities tend to be? Cities are constantly grappling with how to improve the delivery of public services. And when I think of smart cities, I think uh, I would agree with Glenn, it's a journey. We don't have a line that suddenly we cross and we're smart. Also, I would emphasise that the way cities do things now is not unsmart. It's not stupid. You know, services have evolved uh, a lot over time. But cities are looking to how they can move people, goods and data more efficiently, more sustainably around their area. And smart cities offer the opportunity, I think, through an enhanced use of data for cities to get into more of a two-way dialogue with their citizens, to understand their citizens better, for citizens to understand the opportunities and services that are provided to them better. And together, I would say, and we regard this as something that's very important to us in Urban Foresight, to kind of co-create solutions that will result in better service delivery. Now, that entails a bit of a cultural shift, I think. It's not the top-down relationship from city to citizen that we've perhaps had for, for a long, long time. And affecting any kind of cultural change takes time. Mm-hmm. And I, I would actually say that in many respects, a lot of the technologies we need are there. Some of the business models still need to be refined. Mm-hmm. But it's the cultural and institutional change that perhaps is the hardest thing to achieve. Dan, we're talking about there about technologies. You're leading such a thing. It's called AppyWay, and it's all about parking, smart parking. So how does it work? So we um, have a, a mobile app called Appy Parking, and parking is uh, a fundamental requirement today. There's 36 million vehicles in the UK that park 95% of their life. So how do you address that, and how do you sort of make that a more efficient system? Uh, we have a, a company, as the parent company above it, called Appy Way, which is more of the curbside management platform for the cities. So in the future, it will be less about the parking. It's less about car ownership, more about car usership. It's more about fleets. So when the adoption of uh, EVs will really come into its play, but so so that, that'll be about all about the curb kiss. And the curb kiss is something where the city will never get the money, the transaction, because Uber are pulling over, they're not paying for that commodity, because effectively the curbside is a commodity. So we're preparing and digitizing the curbside to allow people today to actually have seamless access. So you can drive in and park with one click, and then when you drive off, the payment ends automatically. So a seamless, frictionless, forgettable experience for parking, but also preparing the curbside ready for then sort of the... Um, so you've got a... a- an embedded uh, sensor. Currently, in the parking yeah, space. you have. You know, there's ten years probably until sort of like full connectivity of cars uh, come about. Uh, really, so how do you actually d- digitise the infrastructure and actually get the benefits of a smart city today in preparation for tomorrow? You're trialling it in Harrogate, is that right? So we've got Harrogate Live, so it's uh, on and off street. So it's about two and a half thousand sensors. We've got four and a half thousand sensors across the whole of Portsmouth now. We've got Halifax. Uh, we've got sensors in Coventry, Reading, Dundee, Plymouth, Portsmouth. So yeah, there's a large scale. So it's the largest deployment of uh, these sensors in the 
the world now. I've got the lots of happy motorists in these towns. Yeah, so Harrogate's the first live town, so the rest are coming out by the end of the year. And yeah, they stay longer on the high street. Ultimately, we care. We don't care about parking. We care about people getting on with their day. So what does that mean to the customer? Well, they go into the high street. They're incentivized to stay longer. There's less fear. They don't get parking fines. And ultimately, the city then gets the best data to understand if that's yeah. the right price for, uh, for, for the and right. Less price. honking and less stress too, I exactly, guess. Exactly, yeah. All right. So AppyWare, that's just one example of how a smart city technology is changing. But Graham, what effect does this mobility have on business? First of all, I'd, I'd just like to say that a benefit of a more efficient parking service in a, in a city, another benefit is improved air quality, because actually people driving around at slow speed looking for parking spaces is not fantastic for air quality. And increasingly, cities are mapping that air quality data and bringing in things like low pollution zones. And so uh, I think this AppyWay and, and other similar kind of uh, technologies help a lot in that. From the, from the business perspective, retail is struggling. I think we all realise that city centre retail is struggling. And there are a number of reasons for that. But undoubtedly, cities are in a quandary where they want to encourage more people to come into their city centres to shop, to eat, to take advantage of leisure opportunities. But they also want to try and carefully manage the vehicle flow that comes into their cities. So I think solutions like Appyway are are helpful in that. And as I said earlier, the data that starts to be thrown off from, from these type of solutions enables cities to have a much better view of what volume of cars are coming from where, going down what streets, at what time, seasonal fluctuations. And so they can start to manage the overall transport system and road network and public transport network in a way that is in greater harmony with the way citizens actually engage with the city. And I think that's important. Okay, so oceans of data, Glenn, how can that be used for insurance purposes? How does that benefit the industry? I think it happens on a a couple of different levels uh, with regards to mobility. Obviously, the movement of commercial and uh, personally owned vehicles around the city is of great interest to us. Cities are a a very risky environment, in fact, to to transport around. And so some of the uh, solutions that we've heard about just there in terms of easing the complexity of navigating the city and getting to your chosen destination and not having to stress about where your car parking space is and, and the anxiety of driving around in circles, looking left and right and not forward... That is all part of a condition of risk. And so I, I guess where we're hoping that some of these solutions will get us to will be a, a people able to understand and predict what their journey is likely to be like it, with much greater granularity, uh, deliver their services in a much uh, more stress-free manner, as you, as you kind of mentioned, starting to reduce the risk associated with some of those actions that they're taking and also starting to think about how that will impact on other parts of their, or, of their role. If you think in the world of like logistics, there's a lot of uh, companies that are delivering to other businesses, say in the high street, taking risks where they're parking, g- g- running up huge numbers of parking tickets, running in and out of shops, worried about what's going to be happening next. And that kind of stressful environment is where accidents happen. And so I think to a certain degree, there is an idealistic view is that these kind of levels of stress, etc., start to become okay. reduced. But we seem to be sort of focusing on mobility, but actually, you know, smart city technology has all sorts of effects on security, safety, health healthcare, waste energy. What risk will diminish as a result of this and why? Let's sort of throw this totally open. What do you you reckon? 
That's a huge question. I mean, I think when you look at the broad swathe of largely technological solutions in respect of smart cities and transformation of public services, you realise that very quickly you come back to two key risks. And I think one is energy, because greater technology tends to require power. And uh, so when power systems go out, we see a much greater uh, range of knock-on effects to a city's infrastructure. Uh, An example would be a flooding event that in the past you may have been worried about it you know flooding people's basements but if it then takes out a substation substation removes power from a whole bunch of places that might include some mobile antenna and suddenly people's broadband network is out and so on and so on and you see a number of kind of things that we would probably regard as mission critical for our lives now can be taken out in a kind of series of of knock-on events i'd say the other risk is is as we are generating all this data is cyber risk and the risk of that data being being hacked or lost or in some way used inappropriately by other parties. And I think that's important for two reasons. One, because it's a real risk and we see you know, cyber attacks in a number of places all the time. But also because of public perception. As I said, I think it's really important that you co-create the services of tomorrow for smart cities. And undeniably, one of the reasons why members of the public are a little bit nervous about data capture is what will happen to my data you know will it if it's just going to be used to improve the quality of public services to me and to customize my experience my engagement with the city then i'm probably relaxed but if i'm worried that that data might be open to hacking from other parties then i'm nervous and also do i trust the technology companies to use my data you know, appropriately, it's one thing to have a customized experience, but do I want other people to be, other parties to be selling to me on the basis of my data? Yeah. Well, I mean, data is a pretty valuable commodity, and you've got to have great trust in those who hold it that they're not actually going to flog it off to somebody else. Glenn, how does the claims landscape change with all this in mind? Um, I think I think we've, we've, the, the, the word has come up a number of times already, but data is going to be key to this. And so I think on uh, whilst we can see new risks emerge as, uh, as Graham went through, I think we can also see other risks diminish over time, hopefully, as we get to more buildings that are, are built with more connectivity, more sensors. And then hopefully that would then give you the ability to, to mitigate the effects of, say, a fire or escape of water issue. Uh, and obviously, smart cities themselves are meant to give us the capability to to reduce crime as well. So, but within all of those aspects that are able to to manage risk, uh, data is created, and then that data can be used to accelerate the speed with which uh, claims can be filed, can be uh, understood, and can be paid out again. So, ultimately, we would want to look to, for ways in which to use that data for uh, making the customer experiences uh, as, as easy as possible and as data informed as possible so that you can help people in their hour of need rather than trying to establish the the circumstances surrounding a claim. Okay, so those are the sort of opportunities that are presented to the industry. So there's a positive outlook, you think? 
I think generally speaking, the insurance industry has had a proud role in trying to reduce risk over time. And certainly there are many elements of the development of smart city infrastructure that point towards risk mitigation, risk prevention. Uh, That's not to say, though, that whilst we sometimes find clever ways of dealing with old risks, then new risks emerge to to take their place. We had a podcast recently on connected buildings, Mm. which was fascinating, actually, Mm. and the way that, you know, uh, preventing or spotting an upcoming risk actually enables you to sort it out before it actually happens and explodes and wrecks the business, you know. And in a sense, a connected building is just one part of a connected city, a smart city, is it not? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that ability to start supporting our clients with understanding their risk management capabilities and options, as well as just what cover they need in the event that something should go wrong, is increasingly what we're going to be about. Tesla bring out their insurance policy now, which is really interesting because they do have all the data from their cars. It's fully connected for every millisecond that it's driving. So they can actually do proper sort of risk analysis on it. And current insurance models aren't really built up on that sort of level of data. So how, how do you see that uh, changing for for you well i guess i've got a slightly different view on that because i headed up telematics for three years for our business which was looking at exactly what a connected car could do for you Uh, and certainly it does allow a much better assessment of someone's uh, driving capability but the real crux of this and it's something graham you, you you mentioned earlier is the degree to which people want to expose some of that data yeah. and for what return would they get it so really if you are a 50 year old guy with 10 years no claims bonus driving around you've got limited benefit from exposing your data to an insurance company a 17 year old might have a great amount of utility derived from that so it's often about what the handshake is of well what do we get in return from yeah. having that data and that will be the same with buildings it'll be the same with people it'll be same with cars it'll be the same with infrastructure graham yeah i'd just like to add on the uh the opportunities that data bring to the insurance industry i think there are a lot of shifts in the way we work in the way we live in the way we travel and again it's about data so give the example of you know hotels will have one type of insurance profile a block of residential flats would have another insurance profile even though it may house a similar number of people you know, I stayed recently in a block of residential flats in Media City, which was basically a disaggregated hotel. It's all Airbnbs. And in fact, many of the tower blocks that we've built, and many of the houses that we've built in recent times in city centres anyway, are largely used for things like Airbnb and other similar platforms. So what is the insurance profile of that? Mm. I was in a, a port the other day where there was an enormous building that in the past would have housed lots of people working. Now it's actually refrigerated, pitch black, and there isn't a single person that works in there. So there's no employee-type insurance consequences of that. But obviously there's a huge amount of technology, data, connectivity-type risk. So we're seeing these kind of the trading of one type of cover or multiple types of cover to different types of cover that you might require. And data gives us a greater insight into how these kind of assets are used you know the seasonal fluctuations what is the what is the insurance risk of an empty factory versus one that is actually operational of a house that is seasonally vacant versus when the owners are there that's a a really great point graham and i think the 
the potential to move to a more dynamic form of insurance is absolutely predicated on this availability of data and a better understanding of knowing your customer better and then being able to understand what the needs are and then be for us to be able to provide the appropriate cover for that. I think just one example that came to mind about how these things can manifest themselves are our global corporate and speciality business has got underwrites a company called Flock and they are uh, a company that uh, gives drone insurance for people who are pro- uh, providing uh, flying drones on uh, recreational and also for commercial activity. Now they do a very nice thing where, uh, whereby if you want to fly a commercial drone around a tower block in the middle of London to do some building inspection work, it can use pull-in data from the city around uh, what the kind of uh, usage of the cars or whether there's any uh, other types of uh, high-risk buildings or schools nearby or what the footfall of the pavement area is and then will give you a price according to when you choose to make that flight to do that inspection. So if you go and do it on a Sunday lunchtime when all of the people who would be working in that office block wouldn't be there then you will play a lower price than if you wanted to do it if it was in a high risk area so that blending of understanding contextually what's going on with any type of activity whether it be a building a car or, or an activity and then being able to use data to inform that and make that a better proposition for the customer is what we're going to see more of going forward and do you think businesses are aware of all these differing types of product that are available. Well, and I think we're very. This is this is a nascent part of the you know emerging economy, I guess. In that these are they, they, there's pockets of examples of this, but this is not full and complete. And so I think this is a very much a, the start of a journey about understanding what the exchanges are between understanding a customer more and what better cover we can do. So I'd say it's it's early early phases. Let's talk about opportunities. What opportunities? to smart cities bring for business who's going to take this on dan any views yeah i mean from our personal experience you know like i said before we are seeing an uplift in people actually enjoying the high street um, at the moment you know the, the the government have just released a billion pounds worth of funding a hundred high streets gaining access to digitize their high street it's not just about the uh, the parking asset it's about the uh, the place how do you make the place a nicer environment and so there's a huge opportunity. We're already seeing the uplift there just from doing something that actually is, is quite a small cost. In terms of sort of, you know, I, I think fundamentally a smart city shouldn't be about technology. I think the, 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 the smarter it is, the more invisible it becomes and, and, the, and, the, uh, and it just becomes sort of integrated. So it's always, I think we should be always careful and mindful that we're not just doing tech for tech's sake. It's actually we're doing tech for tech for good. And it's all just focusing on people enjoying their, their uh, environment. Okay. And... Looking to the future, insurance. Glenn, which sectors of the uh, insurance industry are most likely to be affected, do you think? It is obviously clear that the way that people and goods move around a city is going to probably change fairly dramatically in the next you know, 20, 30 years in, in ways that will be significantly different from how it's changed in the last you know, 50, 60, 70 as we move to kind of connected, autonomous, kind of electrified uh, drivetrains and so on and so forth and maturity of mobility systems and so on and so forth. And so that change from personal ownership of vehicles to more fleet ownership of vehicles, there being perhaps less vehicles on the road but doing more work, that work being more varied and more pointed at different tasks according to how that asset can be best utilised across the different 
different demands of a city across the day from whether it be private use or commercial use and so on and so forth. And so I think you can see a huge amount of change happening in the world of fleet insurance and to its benefit and to its growth. I think in the world of property insurance, we can expect the onset of new buildings that have got this this connectivity, this kind of sustainable approach to their design to, uh, to, to bring a different level and hopefully a reduced level of risk to its inhabitants. And we'll see the retrofit of some of these technologies for properties for that, that, that are with us now, but are, but are not yet benefiting from some of this technology. And again, hopefully we'll see a, a better management of some of those core risks around, say, fire or water and so on and so forth. So in a nutshell, then, smart cities... What are the opportunities for the insurance industry with smart cities? I guess there's a few things. There's a few different dimensions, really, to this, having thought about it. I guess the opportunity to know our customers better and understand the way their lives and their businesses are changing day to day is absolutely paramount so we can make sure we're giving them the right cover for what they're doing. I think um, uh, enabling, uh, using our, uh, our expertise to help people manage their risks better by giving them confidence to adopt some of the opportunities that are coming their way or exposing them to the benefits of, say, something like Appy Way could do for their business. So there's uh, something about exposing our, uh, our end clients uh, to, to the opportunities to improve. I think we can see all sorts of different types of infrastructure that's going to need inspection and insurance, uh, which will benefit areas like our engineering business, for example. We've talked about cyber. And so you can see that the the requirement for providing cyber cover for a whole variety of uh, reasons from citywide infrastructure down to the individual are going to create a a complex set of requirements in the future there. And I think there's also, aside from kind of core insurance cover, uh, for a company like ours, there's also another dimension of opportunities, those around venture capital investment in businesses large and small that are wanting to get into this because Allens as a business is very keen to support businesses that are looking towards a more sustainable future and so on and so forth. And I think really if you look at you can you can look at that in some ways. I mean Allianz has directly invested over 10 billion in infrastructure projects around the world. That might be investing in the metro systems of Madrid or Barcelona, it might be the parking meters of Chicago, it might even be the Thames Tideway tunnel, the super sewer that's going underneath London of which Allianz is a lead investor. Yeah, and above and beyond those direct investments it also manages huge amounts of funds and sets up funds that are are looking to support businesses that are supporting those broader goals of sustainability and quality of life. And so we've got over $146 billion invested in sustainably focused strategies, for example, the Climate Transition Fund that exclusively invests in companies engaged in the transition to a low-carbon economy. And so obviously those type of businesses are going to be ones that you're going to see trading their wares in cities where the need to move towards a low-carbon economy would be at its most pointed. So I think the impact on our broader business is is large and there's there's a huge amount of opportunity and interest about how we can support this move to a better quality of life for one and all. Finally then, what do brokers need to know now to prepare them for the future? I think the the key aspect for the brokers is very much like ourselves, is getting to ensure that they are understanding or the, the changing nature of the businesses that they are supporting and providing cover and advice for. And so g- making sure you understand exactly what opportunities and threats are emerging in the context of the businesses you support is absolutely key. And then being able to provide uh, the appropriate level of advice and consultancy to support them. I guess it's in everyone's benefit that we work to support the safety, stability and security of businesses across the UK and brokers with that first point of contact or actually critical to to help businesses embrace and benefit from the opportunities that this could bring okay and then finally generally not just insurance 
but starting with, with Graham, what trends are we bracing ourselves for? What trends are we expecting in the future now? Well, I mean, I think in terms of the trends focusing on smart cities yeah. and, and, and data is, I think a key trend is a greater degree of customization of service delivery, which comes around through a greater understanding of the way people and businesses engage with the city and what they want from the city. I think also there is the opportunity for an enormous raft of new business models to be driven from, you know, if you like, almost secondary exploitation of this data. So we might develop a, a product that then throws off a lot of data about the way people travel through cities. And that might then enable new services to be delivered. So I, I think there is a, a huge economic opportunity there to provide services that previously wouldn't have been able to be delivered because we simply didn't know how people consumed services and when and where and for how long. So uh, in the same way that the degree of connectivity we currently enjoy in our cities has enabled a whole raft of apps and products that we use on a daily basis, I think as cities become more connected and that degree of connectivity becomes much denser, then that will enable us to interact with the cities that we live with in entirely new ways that drive previously unknown business models. Thank you. And Dan? We're going to see that the more data sets are out there, the more you can sort of create a solution for people, really. And so it is, you'll see these subscription-based models appearing, more bundled services. Why can't you have your curbside access? I'm not just talking about the parking part, but the curbside access bundled into your phone contract as well. Like the whole thing can be sort of bundled. And why can't that be put into your sort of uh, pay-as-you-earn package from an employment basis? So you can actually really sort of put these benefits all the way down into actually the employee and give people like carbon credits for doing something that's more sustainable. So I think you can go really deep into the benefits if you sort of do a data fusion of all the different services. There will be also a massive trend between the public and private sector, sort of the increase in GovTech platforms. You know, smart cities are nothing without the city. Uber came in, they did what they did. I think they did it very well. Well, in terms of the sort of people with apps and cars across the world. But what they didn't do is be sympathetic uh, with the city. And that's the part, I think, version uh, 2.0 of mobility will be about the integration with tech giants or just uh, uh, companies like AppyWare as well, working with the public sector to ultimately benefit the private sector. And Glenn, finishing with you. Yeah, I think the I think it's picking up on those points really that there is something about how do we all support moving forward with greater confidence with all of this because for for every idealistic future that's kind of perceived there is also kind of a dystopian other half as well and so to a certain extent we need need all actors to really understand how to make sure that both people and business are are happy about how they're going to move forward with exposing their data taking on new risks that perhaps they don't understand whilst obviously enjoying new benefits and opportunities and so that push and pull between getting the propositions right whether they be a public service or whether they be a business proposition or whether they be an employee proposition are going to be about getting the right balance right of something that feels like you're improving your quality of life but not giving something away that you fear and don't understand well enough that that creates that resistance and a lot of that's going to be about the behavioral economics of making people and businesses behave in a way uh, that concerts those activities together in a positive way 
way rather than miss the potential benefits by getting drawn into the failure to present propositions in a coherent way where people can understand where they're going. Well, that's all for this discussion. My thanks to Glenn Clark, the head of transformational propositions at Allianz, Dan Hubert, the CEO of the smart parking platform Appyway, and Graham Thrower, the head of infrastructure and investment at the smart city consultancy Urban Foresight. Please do subscribe to the series through your podcast app. That way, you'll be sure of never missing an episode. And we'd really appreciate you leaving us a review as well. For now, from me, Nick Hewer and Allianz, it's goodbye.